0: Welcome to the Looking Back Podcasts. Podcasts that take you through historical lessons for GCSE topics. We want to hear from you with all your questions, jokes and stories and you can get in touch via the website lookingbackpodcasts.co.uk. So get your pens, your paper, your iPad, your laptops, your brains and most importantly your snacks ready and let's start the podcast. Looking Back Podcasts. GCSE History, the Weimar Republic, and today's title is called the Munich Putsch. And we're still looking for the last time at that big historical debate that historians have made asking whether or not the Weimar government was doomed from the start. And we're going to continue to look at how 1923 was a difficult year for the government with ongoing economic and political problems. In today's podcast, we're going to talk about another right-wing attempt at a revolt, the Munich Putsch, and introduce a very famous figure to the story, Adolf Hitler. Now, remember, in the AQA exam, you may be asked about different interpretations of this event, including what is the difference with what they're saying, why there is a difference focusing on the author's, and which you find more convincing. And this would need to be based on your knowledge of the events that happen next. Now, like always, we're gonna start our learning by completing a six question multiple choice quiz. This one focusing on what we've already learned about the year we are talking about. So play along at home, let's see how well you can do. Question one, then please. I would like to know when did the French and Belgian troops invade the Ruhr in Germany? Was it A. January 1919, B. January 1921, or C. January 1923? And very well done if you picked C, January 1923. And this is where that year starts. It starts with this international crisis that causes more problems. Question two then, what did the Weimar government order the workers to do in response to the troops? Was it A, passive resistance, B, fight or C, hold a general strike? And if you remembered, A, passive resistance, very well done. And this is where the government said, don't fight these troops, but also don't help them take the raw materials. Question three, then. How did the government continue to pay the workers in the Ruhr? Was it A, by selling more goods abroad, B, by printing more money, or C, by getting more loans? And if you got the answer B, they're printing more money, very well done. Now, because of this action, we see a direct second problem known as hyperinflation. And so halfway through the quiz, question four, I want to know then, which of these groups of Germans benefited during hyperinflation? Was it A, farmers, B, pensioners, or C, workers? And very well remembered if you got A, farmers. And they benefited because the products they were still producing were vital to Germans at this point. Question five then, which of these groups suffered during hyperinflation because they were receiving a fixed income? Was it A, farmers, B, pensioners, or C, workers? And very well done if you picked B, their pensioners. And that is because their pension was a fixed sum. And so as prices of goods raised, they couldn't afford the basics. Final question, then question six. I would like to know how much would it cost to buy a loaf of bread at the peak of hyperinflation in November 1923? Was it A 20,000 marks? B 200,000 marks, or C, 2 million marks. And if you remember, C2 million marks, very well done. And in last week's episode, we were talking about how Germans had to wheel out money notes just to go and buy a loaf of bread. And that's supposed to show you the scale of the problem. Very well done if you've got six out of six. Remember, we're always trying to learn and recall our core knowledge. Okay, so what we should know already then, we should know that in 1923, the Weimar government had to deal with international, economic and political problems, which were a direct consequence of the Treaty of Versailles. And after the government had failed to pay their second reparation payment in late 1922, the French and Belgian troops decided to invade the Ruhr and take the raw materials from Germany in order to collect their payment. Now, the government was too weak at this point to challenge these troops, partly because of the recovery process from the First World War, but also because of the other losses from the Treaty of Versailles. For example, the limited armed forces. Now, to keep German workers from the war protected and on side, they told the workers to use passive resistance and not fight the French troops and promised they would still get paid. Now, In order to fulfil this promise, the government printed additional money and as a result caused the economic issue of hyperinflation. Now, throughout 1923, prices were spiralling higher and higher and some key groups in Germany were suffering as a result. These included workers whose wages could not keep up with the prices of goods, savers whose money in the bank was now worthless and pensioners whose fixed income was no longer enough to pay for basics. In November 1923, hyperinflation reached its peak with a loaf of bread costing 2 million marks. And this is where we are resuming our story for today. As it was at this point of the crisis that Hitler and the Nazi party believed they could hold a revolt to overthrow the Weimar government. So for our first question, we need to know why did Hitler carry out the Munich putsch in 1923 and to start with we know a lot of this goes back to the Treaty of Versailles because it was hated by ordinary Germans and the Nazi party and it was seen as a cause of their problems and we know that because they called the government the November criminals as a result. And that unpopularity of the Weimar government helps increase the Nazis' ability to do this because they genuinely thought they were stabbed in the back by this government and had seen other political uprisings before. Now, by 1923, the Nazi party is also in a stronger position. Because although they were still a minor political party, their membership was steadily growing, with 3,000 members in 1920 and 5,000 in 1921. And this starts to give Hitler and the Nazi party the confidence that they could hold a successful revolt. Alongside this, they had been developing a group known as the SA, or the Brown Shirts, majority of which were ex-soldiers and they had pledged loyalty and obedience to the party and could be very useful in helping with the actions during the revolt. Now, to top this off, in 1923, Hitler had actually gained support from Ludendorff, that general we talked about really early on in our story, because he was this great war hero that was on the side of this right wing group. And 1923 is chosen because Hitler saw that The Weimar government was humiliated after the occupation of the Ruhr. They had little or no ability to stand up to the French or challenge what they deemed the harsh terms of the treaty. And the government were ultimately responsible for murdering 100 workers in the Ruhr via the French. And then when the consequence of this invasion hyperinflation continues to grow throughout 1923. And again, people blamed the Weimar government because it was partly their solution to print more money that created this. People were unhappy. They were suffering. And Hitler saw this as a perfect opportunity to try to revolt and take over from the Weimar government. Now, for your exam, you're going to need to know some of those causes. But in particular, you are going to have to have detailed knowledge about what happened. And that is because, as I've already said, if you get an interpretation question and you're answering how convincing you find those interpretations, you're going to need to apply what actually happened to be able to say which one you find most convincing. So, for our second question we're going to look at what happened on the 8th of November, 1923. And you might want to start making some detailed notes here. And you might want to start by putting the subheading the 8th of November, 1923. Because again, when looking at interpretations, it'll be good to know if those have come from that time or after or earlier or later to help you inform your decision. So. Let's start with the plan. The plan for Hitler and the Nazis was relatively simple. They wanted to win the support of the Bavarian government in Munich using their old war hero Ludendorff and then attack the Weimar government in Berlin. Very straightforward, clear plan. But how do you actually physically go in a About doing that, and this is the Munich Putsch, because he did this by taking over a meeting in a beer hall in Munich, where the leader Gustav von Kahr, the head of that Bavarian government, was talking. Now, before I go on to any more detail, there's a couple of things I need to point out. There, the Munich Putsch is also sometimes referred to as the Beer Hall Putsch. And you just need to know that historians and people writing about this event may use both terms. Secondly, I keep talking about this Bavarian government. So you need to know slightly more about them. They were a right wing group in control in Bavaria, in a local area where Munich was. And they had actually arranged to have their own uprising on the 4th of November, but for different reasons had called it off at the last minute. Now, Hitler knew they were having this meeting on the 8th and assumed they would maybe be talking about when and where they were going to attempt their revolt. And he wanted to force the issue. So on the 8th of November, 1923, Hitler walks into this meeting of the Bavarian government in the Beer Hall in Munich. He fired a bullet into the ceiling and then announced that he was taking over. So he was going to gain all those supporters that were there for the Bavarian government. Now him And his SA locked car and his lead companions in a small room so that nothing could be done. And stormtroopers, those SA men, those brown shirts, took control of government buildings in the local area and arrested any officials that might have caused problems. And then they needed to wait for Ludendorff because he was the key part of their plan. Without him, the right wing Bavarian government might not have joined Hitler, a smaller group and political party. So when Ludendorff eventually enters later in that evening, he does say that he is supporting the Nazis Munich Putsch and almost persuades the Bavarian supporters that they should go along with it. Now, this happens over the night of the 8th of November. And actually, it's the next morning on the 9th that they decide to take actions and start their revolt or putsch. So that morning, Hitler and 2,000 supporters began their march through the Munich streets and were going to take over the government buildings. And this is where they were met by armed police. Now, I've got an interesting fact for you next. And this is about the date that the Nazi party chose to revolt. Because the march, as I've said, actually happens on the morning of the 9th of November. And this was a deliberate choice as it actually marked the fifth year since the Kaiser abdicated. As a right wing group, that was something that meant a lot to them because they wanted not a democratic government with social democratic parties leading it, but actually a single strong leader that would challenge the terms of the treaty. So for my third part of this story then, We've seen how the Nazis come face to face with armed police, which leads me on to my third question, question, which is what were the results? And again, you're going to need detailed notes on this. You're going to need to learn at least a couple of these for your exam, because this is the sort of knowledge you can use in that convincing question to show that you know what happened. So I'll take this nice and slowly, point by point. I'm going to go chronologically from the actual event through to the longer term effects and results. Starting at the beginning then, when they meet this armed resistance, you need to know that 16 Nazis actually die. There is a shoot out. Okay? And in some places, these were portrayed as martyrs, but not by everybody. We also know that at the actual event, Hitler actually fled from the rebellion with a dislocated shoulder and he was portrayed as being quite cowardly because of this. It went wrong and the armed police met them in the streets because actually Hitler was betrayed by that leader of the Bavarian government, von Kahr, who informed the police that the march was taking place on the morning. And so this is a failed rebellion and you need to know that. It doesn't work. It ends here on the morning of the 9th. But there are some kind of bigger consequences because of this. Because upper class nationalists, right wing supporters, actually saw the Nazis as common and a low class mob because of the action they had decided to take. And the initial support of having Ludendorff on their side did mean that Hitler grabbed attention from the army. But it was seen as an embarrassment. It did not go well, especially with 16 Nazis actually being killed. Hitler does win the respect of some right-wing nationalists because at least he had the courage to act out, unlike the Bavarian government. And Essentially, Hitler and Ludendorff were arrested and they were put on trial for treason against the Weimar government. And here's where we start to get to our longer term results, because we then start to look at this trial that happens, which actually generated huge amounts of publicity and was reported in many national newspapers. And it was reported positively. Lots of people were actually impressed with Hitler's nationalistic arguments that he was presenting in court as a defense for his actions in the revolt. Treason is a charge that should have had life in prison. However, Ludendorff was actually given no prison sentence whatsoever. And Hitler, although found guilty and charged with treason, was actually only sentenced to five years, but only served nine months. Now, a third result of the punishment was actually that the Nazi party was banned for being a political party for the next three years. And that's a fact that people forget to learn, but is a very important one if you're trying to argue about what happens in our story of German history. Now, this leniency, No prison sentence for Ludendorff, five years for Hitler with only nine months being served and only three years out of politics. This leniency demonstrated that actually Hitler did have support from important figures in the legal system and lots of people were probably on his side and felt very similar to him about how the treaty and the Weimar government were to blame for a lot of the problems. Now, even longer term consequences or results of this event is that during his nine months sentence, Hitler was actually given his own room in Landsberg Castle, the prison he was sent to, and he was given a secretary and was allowed visitors whenever he wanted He also took this time to write Mein Kampf, which sold millions of copies eventually in the late 1920s, early 1930s, and actually gave him extra money. It was also where he planned out what would happen with the Nazi party, because it's throughout this process that Hitler learned that he needed to have complete control over the party to guarantee its success. And he needed to rethink his political strategy, aiming to win power through votes rather than violence. So although there's lots of results there that you maybe need to be aware of, I would suggest picking out the ones you think are most important at helping you answer different interpretations about the putsch. Because there are a range of different interpretations. In some paintings from the time, 1923, Hitler is portrayed as a hero, standing up to the soldiers in front of the thousands of people uh, that turned out as a hero and a guide. Other cartoons at the time show it to be a bit of a joke with judges laughing at Hitler and Ludendorff who are standing in beer mugs. But the most interesting interpretation is probably Hitler himself because later on he went on to say it was the greatest good fortune for the Nazis that the putsch collapsed. And if you're thinking about the results... Actually, that could be justified because he did rethink how the Nazi party was going to be presented and continue in politics, which leads me on to the final part of our podcast. And this is where I present to you a statement, a historical opinion, and I try to agree and then challenge it based on everything we've learned today. And that's the skill that you're really going to have to do when you're answering these convincing questions, because it's about using the knowledge to help present the argument. So for today, I am asking whether or not the Munich Putsch was a disaster because it failed to achieve its aims. Now, if I'm agreeing with this, well, yeah, it did not achieve its aims, firstly, because Hitler was betrayed and reported to the police by the leader of that Bavarian government, which meant they did not unite and take over the Bavarian government. Also, 16 Nazis die. Now, in no part of the plan was there any idea about this violence taking control. And I've said that the putsch was actually seen as an embarrassment, not just for outsiders of the Nazi party, but some people in the Nazi party said it was embarrassing. It was a disaster because it didn't achieve anything. And you could argue that, yeah, the Munich putsch was a disaster because of its longer term consequences. Instead of uniting two groups together, actually, what we end up with is the leader of one party, the Nazi party, being in prison, and they were banned for being a political party or taking a role in politics for the next three years. So, they did not achieve their aims of overthrowing democracy at that point. However, you could challenge this question on three accounts because you could argue it was a success actually and it was a success number 1 because it made them famous hitler had won the respect of a lot of right-wing nationalists including those judges and the trial generated huge amounts of publicity that hitler and the nazis maybe would have never have got without this case secondly you could say because of the leniency of the judges It was a success. Ludendorff, no prison sentence, and Hitler only charged with five years and served nine months. Again, shows that, well, okay, it's not a complete disaster because they weren't punished as much as maybe they should have been. Or if you think back to our Spartacist revolt, how the leaders there suffered. And thirdly, you could say that the Munich Putsch was actually a success and not a disaster because of those lessons learnt by Hitler. He was no longer going to try these violent revolts that were failing. Instead, he would work through votes rather than violence. He would use the democratic process against itself and try to take control that way. I hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. I know there's a lot of information there. And like always, if you are getting stuck, there are additional resources on the website, www.lookingbackpodcast.co.uk and you can find that on the page called Podcast Resources. You can also message us through our website if you have any questions or queries or would like any additional information. In the next podcast, we'll be going further into our story and actually changing our historical debate to decide whether or not there was a golden year for the Weimar government and Germany after this point. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned for next time. This podcast was written by Miss Wood and was a James Delling Creative Production.